Well, I wish we had the rights to, uh, I don't know, any song. Eminem, guess who's back? I would have played that if we had the rights to it, but uh, we haven't done this podcast in so long. At least I haven't done this podcast in so long that uh, it's not making any money, and I can't afford to buy music rights, even for 10 seconds without getting sued. Eminem is a rock and roll. So he's got all the money to, to put me out of business. I'm sure he cares. I'm Justin Latta, host of Guardians of the Future. Uh, Sorry, we've been on hiatus a little bit. I went and did something stupid and got married, and uh, not really stupid, but uh, decided to go and get married and do other things, and uh, life's been kind of busy. And The guy on the other side of the mic here, if you're not watching on YouTube, has been a little bit busy too, but uh, makes this triumphant return to the Guardians of the Future podcast today. It's Willie Hood. Please hold your applause. <laughs> well, I changed my name just for this episode to Hilly Woods. So. <laughs> Maybe they wouldn't uh, remember who you were. It's your evil twin brother, right? That's right. <laughs> we uh, we coaxed Willie out of retirement for I don't know what do we what do we agree to a two podcast deal in exchange. Uh, it was a three podcast deal. Yeah, I get yeah. a case of uh, I get a case of flavored water and I think a sausage egg McMuffin from McDonald's. Sausage egg McMuffin. That's a hard bargain, but it is a classic. So I guess you it do better have cheese on it too. Egg on it. Not, okay, we didn't agree on cheese. That's asking for an awful lot there, man. Now I've got to rework our contract. That's uh, I don't have the lawyers to keep up with that, so I guess I'll just go ahead and give it to you since you're already here. You kind of twisted my arm. All right, well, Willie agreed to come back to talk about the draft, but I convinced him to talk about minor league baseball, too, since I haven't had the chance to have Willie on and uh, talk about minor league baseball this season outside of our, our DMs that nobody can read because they're – they're super top secret and uh, filled with all kinds of crazy information that we can't share because it's so, so good and juicy. No, yes, we have all these wonderful thoughts and ideas that clearly are going to make the guardians better and how to fix what's been going on with them this year. But uh, well, there, there is somebody with the initial CA that asks my opinion on stuff all the time. I don't, I don't know if it's just a burner account or what it is. No. Man, you should uh, you should verify that one. You should hire a private detector to see if uh, who's behind that. There's not a lot of security at Twitter these days. That shouldn't be hard to figure out, right? I don't think Elon really cares. You could probably dig into that. Get the guy's credentials or do some. You have all this time away from the podcast. You can't go out there and get like a cybersecurity degree and learn to hack into people's accounts. so We can get some information here. Uh, I've I've been uh, you know sleeping, <laughs> sleeping. Leaving me here to, to talk to everybody on the podcast. Everybody's sick of my voice. So the numbers have been terrible. So now that Willie is back, I expect that our numbers will be fantastic. And, and if they're not, I can blame on Willie now instead of myself, which is which feels all really my fault. <laughs> um, for as frustrating as it's been, it, it, uh, it works any other time. So it got to be Jared's fault. True. That's true. Jared, it is your fault. Even though it was your birthday on Sunday, Jared, it's your fault uh, for not being here to talk about the draft and going on vacation every time anything draft related comes up. I'm surprised he wasn't like on vacation for the, the the NBA draft already happened. I'm surprised he wasn't on vacation for that. And, and he hears the word draft, and he is just in the woods somewhere with his family. I don't know what it is. I, I think he's on the beach, feeling awful warm or something. I can relate. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good feeling. I can relate. I was doing that two weeks ago, and I definitely was not in a podcasting mood, so I can relate. Oh, all right. Are you ready to talk some baseball now? Sure, let's do it. All right. It's been a, a frustrating first half of the Guardians, and it's been a frustrating, I don't know, first half of the minor league system. I don't know how much you're watching. But uh, it's 
rough year, you know. Uh, nobody's having a great minor league se- or seasons for the Guardians system. I mean, T- Tanner Bybee's up. That's great. Gavin Williams finally came up. That was good. His first first start was okay. Bo Naylor's up. Logan Allen's up. Probably all things that we didn't expect to happen before June 26, I suppose. But they're all there. But, like, outside of that, what, what are the minor league wins this season so far in the first half? Like, what has been the good news? Because Justin Campbell's not pitching this year. I don't think I don't think Dylan Delush is pitching this year. Chase Delauder finally looks like he is close to getting to an affiliate. We'll touch on that. Um, like all the good news outside of that is happening down at like what Arizona and the DSL, right? That's about it. Yeah, I think that's where the excitement is at. I mean, as you said, several of the guys are up. That's exciting. Getting Bo up, getting Gavin, Tanner, Logan all up. Um, of course, there's Tyler rotting on the bench, you know, like a corpse. But that's another story for another time. Oh my god! Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I, I didn't expect Tanner and Logan to be up as soon as they were this year. Um, you know, obviously injuries necessitated those call ups, and they've both pitched pretty well. I am curious to see how they will manage their innings in the second half with that. I mean, you look at all these calls. Like, how many years did we do this podcast and we talked about how? The system is coming along. The system is coming along. You had your Tyler Freemans. You had your George Valeras. You had your Bo Nailers. And they were all, you know, Lake County or Akron at the best. Now they're all up. And then you include guys from the 2021 draft class in 2020, like Allen and Bybee and Williams. And, you know, you still have Espino. You still have who's, you know, obviously not pitching this year either and probably not most of next. You've got Rokio. And after that, like, the system takes a hit and it's kind of weird. Like I feel like all the prospects we've been talking about for years that were ready to come help this team. We've got a couple more coming and you hope that they're going to impact the team like Rokio and Valera. And I don't know if it's going to be Valera this season, but you know, and I, I'm, I'm not Rokio either. Cause you know, Ahmed's going to get an extension for at least the rest of the season, the way things are going. Um, I'm just wondering like, when is the next, is there enough there? to hold them over until the next wave. Cause all these prospects we've been talking about for the last, you know, three or four years are up or they're contributing and there's not a ton left in the way of reinforcements. Like, is it going to be enough? You said the next wave and I'm sitting here thinking who's the next wave. Um, can you identify those guys for me? And that's not sliding the system because I do believe that there's depth and talent there. I, I think some of it is in the deeper minors. Welvin Francisco, of course, you know, I'm very excited about and Jason Chorio, um, seeing a guy like Robert Perez emerge and Dan Frias in Lake County, uh, Jordi Svaldez, having some guys like that emerge and potentially maybe become role players or utility types later on is a good thing. I mean, that never hurts your depth. Uh, seeing Kate Smith develop and potentially be a bullpen arm too. There's small wins, but it, where are the big guys? Uh, losing a speed you know, hurts a lot. Um, all the graduations definitely hurt. And then there's the case with George Valera too. It's like, I mean, what's he done this season? It's like a wasted season for him. You mentioned Chase DeLauder and the foot injury. It's seemed to beleaguer him all year until these last few games. Um, hopefully he is finally healthy and finally able to perform. I mean, that's the hope. The second half is let's see where these guys go from here at this point. Um, it's been kind of brutal as you alluded to, but let's not forget the wins that are there because there are some wins for the organization to pull from the minor leagues and to produce like they are, especially over the last few years. 
uh, Gabriel Arias. I joked about Tyler Freeman, um, even Will Brennan. Steve Kwan was a rookie last year, you know. So that's that's the thing is they've been graduating a lot of guys. So a lot of yeah. the talent that's on the field is um, is graduated from their minor league system. I, I do feel like, yes, they need some more pieces, you know, and I wonder is that going to come by trade or draft or how that's going to happen. But I won't get too deep into the Shane Beaver trade thing since <laughs> I did like 40 tweets on that and a couple hours of my day. This rotation out of here and your doctorate's on. If you haven't seen that yet, it was like literally. Uh, I covered about every angle. You did. No, I think you covered every angle, every every rhombus, every triangle, every rectangle of, of that possible trade possibility. Is on there. You're no, you're, you're right. There's there's definitely wins. I shouldn't, you know, be too negative here. Um, like Joey Cantillo, he's in AAA and he's, you know, the walks are still an issue, but he's in AAA and he's at 58 innings. So he is you know, moving along, he's healthy. That's a win for him. And he's in triple a. So like that's, he's moving along. You could take that as a win. I've been joking a lot with Jeff on, on lockdown guardians and, and he's been joking too. And, but maybe it's not a joke like Tanner Burns. He's a guy who, who's all kind of fallen yeah. in prospect them for a lot of us. And I still think the upside there is probably like, you know, a six starter swing man, like a Xavion Curry type pitcher. <laughs> But he's been healthy this year, and he's been pitching, and the RA is fine. He's striking batters out. So, like, I'll take him as a win a little bit, I suppose. There's another pitching victory. He's like, I don't know, Parker Messick in the second half. He should be in Lake County. Why is he not in Lake County? I know why he's not in Lake County, because they've got to find innings to replace him in Lynchburg, and that's hard to do because they never have any pitching at the lower level below that because it's all international or high school kids who are not ready to make the jump. So he sucked there all year, but you know Parker Messick has been—he's been fine. If maybe maybe not super exciting, but he's been about what you probably expect. So he's been good. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. I think the next last couple starts for Dominic Casey have been good. I know the last one was pretty ugly, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's sort of turned a corner. Um, ugh, Ryan Webb's back on the IL. But that's an oblique. He's had some good starts this year. Um, Will Dion despite the fact that I've never seen him throw a pitch in the minor leagues above 91, uh, he's pitching well at double a, and it kind of makes me think that if his stuff works at double a, he can at least be, I don't know, an Adam Plutko. Does that sound about right? Like, so I think that's, that's a good thing. Uh, and then Mag, I don't know, maybe- he's Kershaw. He is Kershaw deck on it. Yes. He's definitely a future hall of famer, even though Clayton Kershaw was, uh, three years younger when he debuted in the major leagues than Will Dion currently is now. And then at the lowest level, like, I guess who, who is the biggest winner? Like, is it Magnus Eller? It's like, is that the most exciting development is he looks like a future relief prospect. I want to see what he does at Lake County and then obviously double a, but him, him and Sean Rapp both had good years, good first halves in Lynchburg. Um, I'll throw out Hunter Stanley. And I think he's possibly a middle reliever, somebody that, you know, that I've, been on since they drafted him and said, Hey, this guy should be a reliever surprised. They haven't just gone fast track reliever with him, but you know, when you need innings um, and he needs development, leave him as a starter for now. It's not going to hurt. It's not like he needs to be added to the roster. So go ahead and get the development that way. Um, but I think his upside is a middle reliever. Uh, I like that you mentioned Sean Rapp and Magnus Ellard's two of the guys that haven't been gotten a, lo- a lot of love. Um, Adam, Adam Tolick and Zach Jacobs down in Lynchburg have been performing well. 
we shall see when they finally do move out of there, whenever, if ever that is. Um, they may be stuck in purgatory because there has to be arms to replace them. And I just don't feel like there's arms coming from below them to replace them. Um, so the draft. Probably, yeah, yeah, they're not going to place a lot of guys from the draft um, out into into the system this year. Uh, we know that. And when you look at last year, it's disappointing. Four, I believe it is, of the arms that they selected last year are already out for the season. Uh, Delusia. Uh, Gio Rivera is out. I don't know if that's for the entire season. Didn't hear exactly what that was with him. I think it was a 60-day IL for a uh, elbow sprain, which definitely, you know, I hear elbow Always sprain. I hear that. Raises concerns about Tommy John, but I won't mention Tristan McKenzie right there. Um, <laughs> then there's Dylan DeLucia and Justin Campbell that have, that have been injured too. So um, it's It's been interesting. Jack... I'm sorry, not Jack, but um, Jacob Zibin as well. He's out for the entire season, and he was already one of the younger prospects facing a longer road in front of him. Big upside. Now there's more question marks that have to be answered um, post Tommy John for him. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of these pitchers they took have already been hurt, and that's the problem. I mean, Jackson Humphreys is in Arizona pitching. That's a good thing. He's one of the high school arms from our buddy's area. So I'm glad to see him healthy. Um, I'm sure we'll see a good influx of pitching in the draft this year, but like you said, none of them will pitch in 2023 and any, maybe you'll get a couple pitching like late in the year at ACL. I think there was like one or two guys that went to Lynchburg for like an inning or two at the end of the year. And like Joe Lampy had an at bat or something like that in, in Lynchburg at the end of the year. So you'll get like a handful of stuff, but not a lot. Um, they sent out Davenport, I think it was, a year or two ago um, to Lynchburg. Uh, Jacobs, I think, went to Lynchburg last year for like an inning, Lampy, and then it seems like there was maybe one more. Um, but don't anticipate a whole lot of that. It, it frustrates me. I don't understand that process because I think you're losing development time, but I guess that they're making corrections, and that seems to be the case, is they're making a few tweaks with guys' deliveries, working on different pitches, things like that. So while we don't see and hear that from the organization, um, there is still development going on uh, behind the scenes. It was exciting to get Ethan Hankins back when he was back and now he's disappeared and I don't know what the story is there. So it, it sounds like he is just kind of working through things on the side right now. I don't, I don't believe there's an injury there. It just kind of sounds like things had kind of tumbled on him. You know, he started out good when he came back for the first time and then, mm -hmm things kind of spiraled for him. So I think there's a lot going on in the side there. I don't think he's hurt. So, you know, knock on wood, that should be good news. Um, the other thing too, I've noticing this year, I, I, we, I think we've talked about this in the past too. Anything that happens at low A, like even we're talking about Parker Messick and Sean Rapp and, and Magnus Ellerts, like mm -hmm. I can't really take anything at that level seriously. I just can't because the stats are so goofy. They don't translate. Like Nate Furman was the best hitter in the minor league baseball. The best he's the guy who was getting on base the most. And Guy Lipscomb has 38 steals down there. And, you know, unfortunately, Nate, who was on this podcast before the season started, has had a rough patch in Lake County since he's gotten there. And he'll figure it out. I think he's a good enough player and he has the skill set. But it's like everything happening below below high A or even double A for that matter, I think has to be taken with just a big grain of salt because it's so hard to – I don't know. You can't, you can't scout the stat lines on those guys either. Like, that's the thing. You have to really be watching what's going on. Because, look, Joe Lampy, 
who I like too, was on fire in the month of April, right? And he has cooled off significantly since. And there were a lot of people who wanted to jump to him being like the next Will Brennan. And, and even Will Brennan's had his struggles at the major league level this year. And I hope he, he figures it out too. But it's like, it's been a half and some of these guys are like the guys who are at low A, like Mike Collado, I know people have been excited about, but it's like, he's a five foot, like nine first baseman at, at low A who's 20. Like there, we have to really cool the jets on some of these guys. And I don't want to sit here and say people shouldn't be excited. Cause you know, we want to be excited about stuff. Like we want to be excited about Jason Churio, right. And Weldon Francisca and the stats look fun down there, but there's a lot more to it than that. But I mean, that those are the guys you're looking for in the second half. Like, I think we're going to see Chase DeLauter sometime soon at Lake County um, after the break because they, they come back Wednesday. I don't know that he'll be there Wednesday with them, but I, I feel like it could be soon after that. And then you've got guys like Robin Francisco who, you know, he's in the DSL and, you know, hopefully we'll get Jason Churio out at, at Lynchburg at some point late in the year. It seems like that could happen. Um, but yeah, like you're talking about all the excitement kind of feels like at the lower levels, like you're looking forward to chase the lauder, finally getting on Arizona. Yep. Um, I've enjoyed scouring the box score for Raphael Ramirez, but it's like, that's <laughs> outside of that, like your MVP, I think in the minor league system so far in the first half has to be Juan Brito, who somehow got better at double A and he better because everyone is, uh, mad about Nolan Jones right now, but, uh, at least Juan Brito looks like that's a. I don't know. Can you can you call it a win? Because the Guardians sure could use Nolan Jones right now. Um, but Juan Brito, you know, for his own sake, is having a fantastic year, and he looks like a a future starter. I don't think it's a shortstop, but he looks like a future starter. Well, you bring up Brito. Where do you play him at in the future? Because he's not a shortstop. Um, and you know, I joked the other day about the organization having to go outside of the organization for a shortstop of the future because. Apparently, we don't have any shortstops in the organization. So, uh, Rito isn't a shortstop, though. And Angel Martinez is backed up this year in Double A, and it's hard for a 21-year-old to to do what he's doing. And how old is Rito in Double A, by the way? Isn't he only like 22? I think he just turned 21 this year. Okay, so uh, he might have. One... He'll be 22 at the, at the, by the time the season's over. Okay, I thought he was 22 already, but. You have one on one end of the spectrum who's been struggling or scuffling a little bit and who looks like he could potentially be a future shortstop, though I question that with Martinez as much as I like him. I think he can play there, but not necessarily a shortstop. Then you have Juan Brito, who definitely looks like he can hit, and I think is going to be a player for the future, but where is that at? I think he's too short for first base, and I don't think he's a shortstop. Is he going to be second baseman, and then what do you do with Andreas Jimenez? Because apparently he can't play shortstop because we have a better shortstop on the roster right now. So, um, you know, I, I, I just, headache, Willie. I have a headache now. Thank you. <laughs> you just keep one to, to frustrate me. I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I'm taking another break. Sarcasm. Uh, now you're going into retirement. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it when there are three shortstops on the field and the best one's not playing shortstop. That's always fun. Yeah. No, I, I don't think, I don't think Brito is a shortstop and, who knows what they'll do next year? Because I think Rokio next year you might have everybody playing shortstop because at some point this whole thing is going to end and you're going to have Jimenez who's here long-term and you'll have Rokio if they don't trade him, you'll have Arias if they don't figure that out, whatever's going on there. And at some point you'll have, I don't know, 
I guess not Jose Tana because things have gone in the wrong direction. A lot of these middle infielders, man, between Martinez, I'll give Martinez a mulligan mm-hmm. because he's, like you said, he's young and he had a great for, he had a great second half in Akron last year when he got there. Although I think Brito has surpassed him at this point as a prospect. Yeah. Um, mostly because of the hit tool, not because of the defense. That's the thing with Brito too is everything with Brito is all predicated on the bat. Like there's no real speed to talk, talk about. There's no real defensive value to talk about. It is all, you know what he is? He is what Aaron Bracho is supposed to be, right? The guy who is like, yeah, his bat's not or his, his, uh, his speed, and his defense won't matter. The bat will carry him. And Aaron Bracho has, has fallen into the oblivion. Juan Brito has become what Aaron Bracho was supposed to become when the guardians signed him. So I guess at least they figured that out. Um, I don't know where he's going to play, but at some point next year, I'll have Jimenez and maybe Rocchio, maybe Freeman, maybe Arias. Uh, who knows? Jose Tana, I don't think he'll be in the mix. So who knows what happens to him? They'll figure that out at some point next year. They got to figure out. I mean, caught in the crunch, um, down to one more option year after this year and not having a great year this year. And now, oh, and, only Keith Law worked for a big league club, and you know, they come right after him because Keith Law really loved him. <laughs> Well, even he wrote a week or two ago that the swing has backed up on him. So if he has lost Keith Law as a, as a believer, then I don't know who's going to be left for him, uh, unfortunately. So that's not that's not a good sign either. I haven't seen a whole lot of Jose Tana, and I'm going to get back to, to more video in the coming weeks here. But, like, can't count John Kenzie Noel uh, in AAA. But, like, he's in the same situation as Tana, except for Tana's locked at AA. But, yeah. like, Noel's not going anywhere. That's a problem, and the organization doesn't really have like Chase the Lauder is your power hitting prospect, right? There is nobody else, unless you want to talk about John Rodriguez, who I don't really know how to feel about. How do we quantify Oscar Gonzalez? Uh, not really a power hitter. I mean, theoretically, he, he has power. He hasn't, he hasn't showed it in, at the major league level. You know, um, not like he could. It's perplexing. I'll I'll just say that. And definitely seeing some guys. Um, that's powerful. <laughs> yeah, that sounded pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, side whoever that was. <laughs> that was my five-year-old playing upstairs. Well, there you go. Apparently, she's having like, a lot of fun. Sounds like some power in that one there. Yeah, sign that one. Uh, yeah, Gonzalez has power, but the approach isn't there, and. I think Jonathan Rodriguez is kind of like a similar Oscar Gonzalez too, where the approach isn't there and the swing can be exploited, but there is power and there's a great, and he also has a good arm. Like either of those guys are great defenders, but they both have great arms. I don't know that either of those are guys that you can sit there and say are future cornerstones, like going into 2024, you at least have identified Bo Naylor. We know Jose Ramirez is going to be here. Steven Kwan, I guess remains in left field, although he's kind of backed up this year. Josh Naylor has taken a step forward. Your rotation is is set, even if you move on from Bieber. Although if McKenzie misses all of next year because of Tommy John, your ace is what Tanner Bybee next season. That happened a lot faster than I guess I would have thought, but there you go. Um, then you're hoping on you know Bo Naylor taking you know being an everyday guy next year, and you're hoping on one of these infielders, whether it's Arias or Freeman or or Rocchio, to take a step forward and. Like you said before, Valera, this has been a lost year for him between two injuries, and you you need that. Speaking of power, there's a guy you need to, to find a way to stay on the field. That would be a big win in the second half. If, if George Valera can just play the entire second half without an injury, 
I think that would go a long way towards making people feel good, right? And chase the water. Your two right, your two future right fielders, if they can just stay on the field from the month of July on, I think everybody would feel better. Boy, I'm just sitting here thinking if I had to do rankings right now, <laughs> I it would be a jumbled up mess, you know, compared to some other people's. Um, I don't know how you quantify these guys who have missed extended periods of time, you know, and, and my personal ranking is that it automatically drops them about five to 10 slots, depending on the seriousness of the injury. Um, and I hate to go down the rankings trail on you, but um, and it's just like, man, the, the system is really in flux right now, um, which I think really brings us to the draft conversation that we're going to have here in a few minutes. But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions and it feels like few answers for the club. Um, I mean, even on the big league level, look at Tristan McKenzie, you're depending on the development of the pitching staff, Tanner Bobby, Logan Allen, uh, Gavin Williams. I must call him Garrett Williams. I have no idea why. Um, Is that a guy who could be drafted this year? Is that somebody? No, that's a left-handed pitcher that was, I think, drafted by the Giants a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're still really in that draft. Okay. Yeah, I liked him. So, you know, I'm grieving. <laughs> I need some uh, while I'm on here, Justin. Uh, that is a good transition to uh, to the draft talk. So let, let's do this. Let's say, just so we don't leave people on a sour note, what is what is one thing you're looking forward to in the second half of the Guardians in the minor league system, and and what what should get people excited for the second half in the minor league system? Eric Sabrowski. That's one thing I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and total, this time. Total and complete random thing there for Justin. That just that was a good one. <laughs> so, so Sabrowski is an interesting left-handed pitcher in, in Akron that Cleveland grabbed in the minor league portion of the Rule 5 a couple of years ago. Had Tommy John, his second one at that. I just wanted to throw that name out there just because I can. <laughs> I, I don't have a response to that. That's great. I don't have any, any response. How about this? Uh, Juan Zapata was the the pitcher of the week in High A this past week. That's what I'm excited about. Now. Yeah, he's 24 too. So uh, yeah, yeah. things are going good there. I'm excited to watch Jaime Arrieta in the second half. Oh wait, no. Um, it, it does bring me up to something, and I tweeted about it over the weekend. But their approach to international talent, specifically the pitching, there is no approach there. It's get the get the guys that will sign for ten thousand dollars, and then draft a bunch of college arms. Um, I mean, frankly, I think they have to start assessing what are they doing and why are they doing it. And I understand risk mitigation, but you're also running a, a more than likely a bunch of arms out there, and you're lucky if one or two of them are going to develop. You're you're a lot less likely to get anything significant, so you're already um, handicapping yourself in the race. Um, that's like going in the, a three-legged race with a blindfold on, you know, and that's exactly what they're doing to themselves is they're, they're limiting the prospects that they sign and then they're getting a ton of infielders and they're causing this, I don't know what to call it. There's a, a, a log jam in, in the upper levels, but you have a ton of middle infielders in the minor leagues that, you know, that they've spent all of their signing bonus money on and 
now it's like, where is the pitching going to come from? There's no depth below, below down, down in Arizona, for instance, to really call upon it. And I'm not slighting somebody like Jackson Humphreys, who's a high schooler down there. Um, brings me to Javier uh, Santos Tejada, who's, who's out injured right now too. Um, or he was last I knew. Um, another one of the arms from last year that, you know, dealing with injury and, you know, roster spots are tight. There's a roster limitation now. Um, it's going to get lower. You're rostering guys that are less likely to make it from the beginning. Um, I don't know. It, it seems to me like maybe they need to reassess what they're doing in the international market and even in the draft. And I, I think that's a good interlude in, into getting into the draft. Um, but I think they need to reassess. I think it was baseball radar tweeted this morning or yesterday about their approach in the draft and, and how they need to focus more on um, maybe getting some more guys with more power and, and going right into it, Justin, you know, Cleveland picks 23rd this year. They have an opportunity to get some guys with power. A lot of rumors that they're going to go with a bat. I don't know if that's going to be a college bat, a prep bat, but I can drop some names on you if you like. Um, right now, you know, one of my favorites is Brock Wilkin. If you didn't get to see him in the College World Series, he, he hit a heck of a home run um, a few days back now. But um, he's one that I think fits Cleveland's MO. Um, not your per typical Cleveland pick, but if you look at the walk rate, um, you look at his zone contact and all of that, he really does fit what Cleveland does. Um, I'm still not convinced that they'll deviate, but I'm trying to convince myself that they will deviate. When you look back at last year's draft class and look how they deviated on some of the pitching that they went after. Magnus Ellerts, as an example, Adam Tulek, um, Javier Santos Tejada, all of them were deviations from their previous draft model. So I'm hoping this year, you know, that's a forecast of what they do this year with some of the bats too, that they'll hopefully go after a couple of bats. I think you have to deviate, even if it's ever so slightly, um, you have to continue to adjust and perfect, so to speak, your model because your, your model, it needs to adjust. And, and looking at it, the model is always a year behind because you're always looking at the year prior. So you have to look at what is available in the draft. You have to look at the talent that's available in the draft. Um, you know, Kylie McDaniel threw out the, the other day that the Yankees should spend on the draft this year, that they should be the team to do it and really stockpile because looking ahead to next year saying next year is a light class, but we don't even know that yet. I think it's too early to say that next year is a light class because of the development that can come. But Cleveland has to look at the talent that's there and available in this draft class. And, you know, everybody knows I track, track their uh, draft model. Um, I've tweeted that out there. I've wrote about it. I even, you know, screenshot a picture of what I came up with following their picks and where they trend at. Um, my draft predictor says, you know, they'll go college arm this year because they've gone college heavy in the last three years. Uh, I think it's a year to break those trends and to make yourself a little uncomfortable and pursue the talent that's available in front of you, whether that be a Yohandi Morales, a Barack Williams, a Chase Davis, those sort of guys. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of different publications are throwing out Cole Emerson to Cleveland as a possibility. And 
I don't think Justin likes him as much as I do, but I question the talent level that he faces playing here in Ohio, and I'm not dissing anyone, but everybody knows Ohio is a football and wrestling state first, so it's not a baseball state. Um, so your development is going to come there, or, or I think your development is going to lack when you're a baseball player in Ohio. You're, you're a little bit behind. So you have a player that's young for class and potentially underdeveloped. Cleveland could have interest there, and he ran great contact rates, uh, 84% in the zone and 85% out of the zone. That's a very consistent bat to me. A lot of people are saying potential for 60-grade hit tool. Um, he did hit well over 300 with Team USA, too. So, you know, every, everything says that, hey, he can hit, but he's not going to be a shortstop. He's not fast enough to be a shortstop. That's all it is, and, and he'll probably move over to the hot corner, and then the question becomes – does he have the power to play corner? And he might, um, but he's definitely going to make a lot of contact, or he looks like he's going to make a lot of contact. Uh, I shouldn't say definitely because you and I both know um, development can change with time. And some guys, they develop more power, and you see the batting average sag, and you think, man, this guy's going to be a high average hitter, and then they're not. They actually start showing more power. Yeah, we've seen a lot of guys like that over the years. I mean, Joe Naranjo is a great example of that guy we thought was contact over power, and then now he's not hitting for a lot of power, not hitting for a lot of anything, unfortunately. No, no slight to Joe. But, uh, he's having a tough year, and he's become more of a, a three, three outcome guy than a contact hitter, which is really odd. Um, I got a couple of responses to your drafts, if I wanted to say, too. At the, at, on the heel end of our minor league discussion, I watched Stephen Hajar last week, and he looked really good. He looks like another um, Sam Henches to me. Mm -hmm. He was 93, 94, and he had some control issues, but he had a good slider. So they got him healthy. They got him in that bench and trade. They got him healthy. We'll call that a win, and then you know we'll see what happens there with him. So I guess, I don't know, I'm excited to see some of these guys get healthy in the second half, I, I hope. I mean, if we get any of these guys off the injured list and uh, if Chase Slaughter's at Lake County, that will be the big second half win. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really a big Colt Emerson guy. I think this is another year to go college bat heavy. And I think I think it's a good opportunity to remind people, too, that, you know, for, for people who may not be diehards, you're not drafting for need. I know people will – some people might say, well, they need to draft a power-hitting outfielder. And you're, you're not wrong about that, too. That, it's not – it's a need at the big league level, and it's a need at the minor league level. So I guess if they go that route, you're not drafting for need. You're drafting – I don't know. You're still drafting best player available, right? And it's just the question of who is the best player available on their board at 23 on how things shake out. I think a good player is going to fall to them at 23 because this is a good class. Someone's going to slide. Like, you know, early in the year, we, we talked about Braden Taylor. If he had more exit velocity this year at TCU, mm -hmm. he would move up boards, and he did. And I feel like towards the end of the season, things kind of cooled on him. And it feels like he could be back in the Guardians range, but then you have questions of like, okay, does this guy profile at third base? Because I think was it you or Jared who said he could be Lonnie Chisholm? And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I would take Lonnie Chisholm right now, right? Honestly, wouldn't you? I think it was Jared. I I would take a Lonnie Chisholm right now, offensively. I would take that kind of hitter. So that's fine for me at 23. I think it's got to be college bat. This is a good. This is the second year in a row where college hitters are good. The only college pitcher I feel like you, you you know you said your draft model this year says that they're going to go college pitcher at twenty three. The only guy I think that's going to be available for them at twenty three in that in that category is going to be mm -hmm. Jerron Watts Brown. 
and he doesn't strike me as being as good as, as Justin Campbell. He doesn't throw the same amount of strikes. He's a good athlete, but I kind of wonder about the other stuff there. Um, I don't know. Joe Whitman at Kent State, is that a guy you, you're comfortable taking at 23 if you're going college pitcher? Like, I feel like that might be overdrafting a guy who might have two pitches. Um, and they um, You know, I think that's a good question, and we've seen Whitman associated with them in mocks and stuff like that. I don't buy it in that uh, going on a first-round arm. I want somebody who has a longer track record than he does. He's got one year of performance, and, yes, he's performing on the Cape, but I think Cleveland looks at that. Of course, they do the. Uh, they look heavily at the year-over-year improvement. Whitman's shown that, but he's not really shown the level of pitching that he's shown this year for three consistent years. He wasn't that prospect, so to speak, even in high school. He's a guy that's emerged with time, which is great. That shows you know he's developed. But is he uh, at his peak at, uh, in terms of development? Is this a, what he's going to be? Is he going to be a fourth or fifth starter in the major leagues? Or does he have more development ahead of him? And, you know, you mentioned he's a, a two-pitch pitcher. I think the changeup is the one that lags behind. The slider is a, an above-average pitch. Maybe it's a fast-moving left-hander that gets to the bigs and helps the team out. Um, if Cleveland is going to go that route, it's to, to buy him down, so to speak, save some money, and push that money down the board. I think Cleveland is in a great spot at 23 because I think there's any number of guys that could slide in this draft um, because of the quality and the quantity of talent that's there. I think there's so many guys that are very similar to each other that are going to be graded by, in, uh, by organizations. Very similar. You mentioned Braden Taylor. And I think I mentioned him the other day, which is what got Jared to say um, he could be another Lonnie Chisenhall. I would, I would take Lonnie Chisenhall production, by the way. And I would too. <laughs> not a good thing. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's also, I don't know. No, I, I liked Chisholm Hall a lot. Um, I was yeah. a fan of his, probably more than I should have been. Um, I would take Jason Kipnis, you know, give me that sort of production. And that's what you're looking at in this sort of draft is there's college players like that, even into the second round. So yeah. I, if Cleveland was to veer away from that, um, I think you can still get quality bats in the second round of this draft that aren't, aren't too far off of what's in the first round. Um, I think there's going to be starters. You're talking about maybe some guys that develop into average major league players. I think there's some potential all-stars available in the first round at 23, though. Um, I think Cole Emerson is one of those, potentially in a few years. As a third baseman, when I say an all-star, I say I'm, I mean I think he could go to an all-star game once or twice. Not a perennial all-star, not somebody like a Dylan Cruz. Um, I think somebody like Enrique Bradfield could be a, a perennial all-star because of his speed and the way that the game is played today. He reminds me a lot of um, Estuary Ruiz, um, who we saw a week or so ago now at this point. Um, that top of the scale speed. There's a player very similar to Bradfield, Dylan Head, that will be available or that could be available at pick 23. Um Nolan Shawnell looks like he's probably past Cleveland right now. Um, somebody I thought at one point. Been connected. Yes, absolutely. A, a guy that hits well above 400. You, you have to look at him. I mean, the dude just hits. If he's hitting well above 400, I know it's Florida Atlantic. He also hit three home runs when he was facing Florida this year. Um, bad, bad Cape data. That's the thing with him. And yes, my, that's, my concern that's there is he's the first baseman. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, okay, you look at Chase DeLauder last year. 
And he was a model friendly player because he's young for the class, kind of young for the class, crushing on the Cape, even though he had like, you know, a bad weekend series against Florida State and Parker Mestic, ironically enough. There's at least enough of an athlete there to play a corner outfield spot. And with Nolan Chennault, he's a first baseman only. So that's so much pressure on the bat. And the history of college first baseman in, in the first round of the draft is not great. The competition's not good. The Cape data is not good. It's such a huge risk. I would, I would be, I know, I hate to say like you pass on someone like that and he goes to Tampa Bay and he winds up being an all-star. I know that's going to be, everyone says will happen because Tampa Bay isn't on him as they were Xavier Isaac a year ago and nobody knew who that was, but now it looks like a great pick. I just, I don't know. There's a lot of risk there. And this is a team that's been risk at first, right? A lot of their picks. Well, I shouldn't yeah. say that because you know what? How many how many guys have they taken that have been injury risks that are that are hurt right now? Like we're talking about the pitchers um, overall. They are not risk averse in the first round. I mean, they've they've drafted in recent years. I think the last five years they've drafted nine injured pitchers, and and a few position players. I think that we're dealing with minor injuries. Um, things I mean, even Gavin uh, Williams had injury issues. Stillauer last year had an injury. Yeah. Um, so if there's if there is somebody that they feel like they can rehab and bring back, that's one of their things is they feel like they can rehab these guys and get them back to where they were beforehand. Um, they haven't, and I know that's the value. That's the value pick, right? It's you get better value because the player who you think is a higher talent than 23, you're getting them, and you're getting a better value because you know a Daniel Spino, a Chase Delauder, a Gavin Williams, and Ethan Hankins, a Brady Aiken. They've done all that, and it just hasn't worked out for them. I mean, I guess, okay, Williams is up. McKenzie worked out, even though that was a different scenario. But the rest of those guys haven't worked. I don't know. They are not – It's. I, I was going to say they're usually risk-averse, but I guess they're really not. They're opportunistic in the first round. And the opportunities, yes. you know, have really bitten them. And I think as long as Chase Louder doesn't, doesn't – his foot doesn't fall off, I still feel pretty good about that pick. I just think the – I just I still feel like college bat's the way to go in this draft. The way – that's the, the strength of the draft – they have guys that fit their prototype. Like you yep. said, Brock Wilkin, if he's there. And I, personally for me, this is just me. The show me shortstop I'm really interested in at 23, if it's a high school shortstop, and he's not going to get there, is Arun Namala. There's nobody else there I'm really interested in. I'm not interested in, uh, uh, shoot, who's the other kid that uh, – Stafura, I, I guess I kind of like Stafura. He's okay. Chase Davis. He's got, a lot of he's got a lot of helium behind him right now. Um, yeah. Currently he had some great interviews. And he was a New York player, so he was a later, uh, a later, I guess, later developer or one that showed his talents a little bit later into the spring because he's playing in New York. So, you know, you, you have to consider that. We're already looking at the College World Series and stuff, and I think he just finished his baseball season in, in New York. Right. Um, I think you kind of have to take that into account too. So I think Stafura is probably in that back of the first round range. Um, Adrian Santana, I like a lot. I've said he reminds me a lot of, of Hemi. Um, I think he has a, a chance of being that sort of player at the major league le level eventually. Uh, I think you're on it though, is you can't stretch your model to, to make things happen, so to speak. What I mean when I say that is, you don't have to reach down board to get a pitcher because just because it looks like they would go with a pitcher in the model. Um, you can kick that, kick those trends just like they did with control pitchers last year. Maybe they will go with some bats um, 
that have some power potential and maybe take on some risk with some guys that actually strike out a little bit more and hope that they can teach them a little bit of plate discipline. You know, I mean, if you go after Wilkin, you have to accept that he's going to strike out a lot. And this was his one big year of performing. He, he, that's, that's the knock, you know, if I had one on Wilkin is this was his only year that he looked like this level of a prospect. Now, he changed his profile because he walked more this year than he struck out significantly more at that. In in the past, he'd struck out more than he'd walked. Um, I mentioned Noah Chonel a, a moment ago, a guy that he had the um, Brandon Geyer tool set because I believe he's been hit 18 times too. So he just knows how to get on base. Chonel will get on base and he'll get on base a lot. I think he's going to be a value pick somewhere between pick 15 and 20 now. I think he's gone that high in terms of value. But because he's going up, I could see a player like Matt Shaw sliding, a Tommy Troy, an Enrique Bradfield. All of them could slide. But my question now goes to what if it's Blake Mitchell? Do you make that pick? Blake Mitchell, for those who are wondering, is, is a high school catcher who I believe he's committed to L- is it LSU, Blake Mitchell? I think it is. Yeah, he, he's a fantastic player. And, and the last time they went, well, Bo Dealer wasn't necessarily a, co- a high school catcher. He was a high school athlete who they decided to move to catcher who could yeah, catch. Yeah, kind of a utility player. He played yeah, and I, and I think Blake Mitchell is definitely a catcher. There's no doubt there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There, and there are some interesting catchers in this draft, too. Like, this is if they're going to go out and finally put some catchers in the minor league system, this is a year to do it. There are some guys out there. There's Cole Kerrig. There's uh, who's the guy you guys like from uh, the small school that's improved this year? Um, oh, that, that could be anybody. <laughs> well, there was there was a kid you and you and Jared have been talking about for a while now. That's not, not Cooper Engel, Luke Shigler. Um, well, there's him. No, it's a kid from a, a smaller school that I was like, oh, I don't really trust that because he's from a, a pretty small school. I know you got to scout those schools, and I can't. Cooper, well, there is Cooper Engel, but he's a Clemson kid. Yeah. There was somebody else you guys talked about. I'm sure it'll come to us. Afterwards. Michael Carrico is one that we were talking about. That's David. Yeah, Davidson. Michael Carrico. That's a smaller school. He's improved this year. You know, I like Jack Payton a lot. Um, I don't think Zion Rose is in the cards for anybody. I think he's going to wind up at school. But yeah, this is the year to go get a catcher, not in the first round. Because as, as much as we're talking about guys who are going to fall to them or guys who could fall 23, let's be honest, Kyle Teal's not going to be one of those guys. So Yes. Uh, Connor Burns, I think, is one of the other ones that Jared and I really honed yeah. in on. We've said he's Austin Hedges all over again. He's a guy that's going to hit sub 200 probably, but gold glove style defense. And I don't know if he won the award, but I know he was up for the gold glove in college. Um, high caliber defender. That's the type of guy I could see Cleveland drafting or perhaps even overdrafting just because of the value with catchers. And that's why I asked, what about Blake Mitchell? Because he's a prep, a prep catcher. Do you take the risk on him knowing what the potential upside is? Cause to me, if he is what I think he is, he's a top 10 pick in a few years. So is Zion Rose, who you mentioned, I think he's a top mm-hmm. 15 pick in a few years, but I think the chances of really signing him, Unless you're going to pay him probably $3 million, you're not likely to get him. And I don't see anybody doing that. No, I mean, the Guardians' uh, overall draft um, pool is 8.736,700. So a little little under $9 million this year for the, the draft. And they'll spend, you know, probably almost all of it, if not actually. They'll, they'll go above that. They'll go to about 9 one 
Uh, so about 9.1 million is what I think they'll spend. That's the including the five percent. They do that about every single year. Is go over when they when they can. They've shown the willingness to spend in the draft. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm probably too focused in on I'm locked in. I mean, th- there are good college arms. A lot of college arms have been hurt. There are some good ones you can get later in the draft. I would I would stay focused on a high school or a college hitter. I think there's mm-hmm. just a a lot of good ones in this draft. It makes sense to just grab one at 23. There should be someone there that fits what they do. I mean, How about it's more the, risky. There's the Chase Davises and the, the Colton Ledbetters who are, have, have had a lot of steam too. And those guys are, I don't know, on the fringes of their model. Like like we talked about today on Twitter, I think Chase Davis is doesn't have the track record, but he has the area of improvement. Colton Ledbetter kind of has more of their, their data set, but it's a, it's a one-year – track record as well and they look very heavily at sophomore years i don't know they're, but they're just like you said tommy troy could get to them maybe i think it would be it would be a giant win if matt shaw got there i think matt shaw is the guy that makes the most sense for them because he has the the uh consistent performance in his college career and he has the cape data to back it up and he doesn't strike out he's got power he is everything they really definitely need but what about uh Yohandi morales yeah, I feel like Morales probably. Sh- I don't know. It depends on how much they want to deviate from their their usual models. Like you said last year, they they did deviate a little on certain pitchers. Do they maybe deviate on hitters this year and, and take a Morales who doesn't strike out a lot, but he strikes out enough where it's kind of on the end of their range. Yeah, he, he's nineteen percent on the strikeout rate, but walks close to twelve percent. Um, not enough to call it a wash. That's that's quite a bit. But he also hit 400 this year. A guy that's showing that kind of contact skill. You know, even though he's striking out, he's also showing the ability to. Is he is he striking out? And I haven't watched him enough to know. Is he striking out because he's working counts deep? Is he passive at the plate, or is he? What is it? Why is he hitting so well, but also striking out so much? You know, and then you could come into the. Uh, are we running into another Nolan Jones? I just said that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and Nolan Jones could still work out. Like, <clears throat> it's Colorado, so it's hard to say what's going to really happen there. But he still looks like a player who's going to be a good major league outfielder who can hit for power. So that's not a good, bad thing to have. They just decided to go with, you know, <clears throat> Will Brennan. But he was passive at the plate when he was with Cleveland. That's that's a good point. Yeah, you have to – and that, that's the thing I worry about, like we're going back to our conversation with the minor leagues is – you can't have because I, I think even Bo Naylor is passive sometimes. You have a lot of guys who are looking mm-hmm. to walk. Like and that's the thing. We should probably talk about this too because I know people are going to ask. So Bo Naylor looks like oh, he's passive to play to me, and Josh Naylor looks like he wants to hit everything in sight. And it's working out for Josh Naylor right now, which is great to see. <laughs> Bo Naylor to me looks like he wants to walk sometimes, and that's not a thing you want from guys. Like it's okay to walk, but yeah. you got to take the walk. You can't go up there looking to walk. And and Naylor, the two Naylor, the two older Naylor brothers are. Um, are two very different hitters in terms of what they're trying to do up there. And let's address the Miles Naylor thing because someone's going to ask if we don't yes. talk about it. I, I personally, maybe you're you're more of an expert than I am. So let me let me say this first. You can tell me if I'm right. If you think I'm right or wrong, I don't think Miles Naylor is quite a fit for this team. I know they like Josh and Bo, and they like Miles as a player or a guy, but he's a weird mix of those two kids. Like he is, he, I don't think he has Bo's athleticism, but I don't think he has Josh Naylor's hit tool. 
and I don't think he has Bo's power. So like he is a tweener. He's he might be a good player, but he just mm-hmm. is going between those two instead of being the. Everyone kept saying, "Oh, he's going to be the best of the three. I feel like he's just kind of a tweener between the two of them. I agree. Um, right now, it's hard to say. Does Bo look like he could be better than Josh with what Josh is showing? What Josh can do now. You know, I mean, Good question. It looks like older brother may be the best of the three. We don't know. You know, that's that's really asking a lot right there. Um, as far as Miles Naylor, I, I completely agree with what you're saying on him. Um, I think he's potentially available at 58, 62, maybe 93. I don't know if he gets to 93 or not. I don't see, and, and I've seen some people say Cleveland should go over slot and get Miles Naylor in the first round, which I just think is absolutely crazy. Um, that, that's what I would call overkill, and that's uh, going to cost somebody their job if they did that. I understand liking a kid and, and why that you would potentially like him. Um, I think that there would be teams that do like Miles Naylor. I think he's one of those guys that's going to have maybe fifty tool, a 50-hit tool, maybe 50 power and be a decent third baseman in the, in the majors if he gets to the majors. But I think that's the type of ceiling that you're looking at is maybe just an average player at third base. And he's really, um, really impressed this spring and put himself onto the map because in a lot of places, he wasn't even in the top 300 early on. He wasn't at BA. Uh, he wasn't on MLB.com. Um, I don't think Prospects Live had him in their top, what was it, 200 or whatever that they released initially as well. So he kind of hit his way onto the map, and I think the bloodlines helped him. Um, so somebody could fall in love with him and snatch him in the second round, maybe early third. I think it's a possibility Cleveland looks at him because of the bloodlines and all, but I don't think that that's going to get him picked there. I think they're going to be looking. Um, if Cleveland doesn't get a bat in the first round, I think Cleveland will get a bat potentially at those next two picks at 58 and 62 because there's a lot of talented bats that are – could still be in that area. Guys like Max Anderson could be there at either of those. Uh, Mitch Jeb. Um, you could see even like a guy like Travis Honeyman fall uh, from Boston College. He was being talked about in the first round. I believe he had a shoulder injury, and he has yet to finish a season um, healthy or play an entire full season. So that's a little side note on Travis Honeyman. As much as hype as he gets, so, so to speak, as being a first-round talent, He's not finished a, a full season or played a full season since he's been in college. That could be something that Cleveland likes about him, though, because you, as you said earlier, they've taken some chances on some of these guys. They have. Real quickly, too, I was just tweeting this as if you're watching on YouTube, I disappeared for a second. Uh, Joey Cantillo was named the Guardians representative for the Futures game, and, and not every team, this is not like the All-Star game where every team has to be represented, so the Guardians do at least have one. Uh, futures game representative. I think Bybee or Williams would have been there if they weren't at the major league level. So there's mm-hmm. that. But um, or if you want to get really mad, Junior Caminero made the futures game. Don't don't throw anything at me. Don't throw anything at me. <laughs> I'm glad I'd already swallowed my coffee, Justin. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So Junior Caminero was a future was a futures game uh, participant, but so is uh, so is Joey Cantillo. We talked about Joey Cantillo being a I'll, I'll say you there, Justin. Um, Mike Bove is the name that I like yes. in the second round. He can hit. He's from uh, Nebraska, Omaha. And then Antonio Anderson, shortstop from the Atlanta metro area. I think, uh, man, you might have to buy him out of that Georgia Tech. Um, 
I like him. So it, it may cost a little bit of money to get him out of that, but I think he's going to be a guy with an above average hit tool with potential for above average power too, and a third baseman at that. Um, he's somebody I would definitely have some interest in if I were Cleveland. There's a lot of outfielders in this draft class too. A guy like Jack Hurley that you know we were talking about earlier, he's somebody I could see falling into the top of round two. He's not going to get to pick 58 or or pick 62, but there's a lot of um, secondary outfielders. Colton Ledbetter, you mentioned earlier. Uh, Spencer Nivens from Missouri State, I think it is. Um, some other guys there. I like Caden Sorrell a lot, a, a high school player from Texas that could be, you know, like a third, fourth round type of pick. Um, somebody that would probably require an over slot. He's got good bloodlines and showing some really good tools all around. Um, I say all that to say is there's going to be a lot of bats available. I like a lot of the uh, college pitchers. You know that the guys that are more than likely going to be second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round type guys like Zach Thornton, Seth Keener, Tanner Hall, those type of guys. Um, Kiefer Lord. Give me Kiefer Lord. Uh, yeah, I like Kiefer Lord. Um, His, I know he kind of fell off towards the end of the year and he might fall down the boards. But if you could get Kiefer Lord at, what is it, 93, I would – I'd absolutely love that. And this is the thing, too, with Cleveland is they don't have to take a pitcher in the first round or, or the comp B pick to develop them. They can take guys in the third, the fourth, the fifth round. Logan Allen, yes. Tanner Bybee, Shane Bieber, they have done a fantastic job with guys who are not first-round arms. I think that's the thing you can feel most confident about is if they don't get – and this is not a good not a good class of college pitchers. Like, you know, we would love Rhett Lauder or – one of those guys, obviously, they're not getting down there. Like, Hurston Waldrop might be a guy that could be a college pitcher on their radar at 23 if he gets there. Yes. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad at that. But they don't have to do that because they can they can develop guys lower. Like, obviously, Gavin Williams has worked out so far for them. and um, But most of their pitching success has come outside okay. of the first round in terms of development. Yeah. So you can feel Everybody, good about that. Yeah. Eli Morgan, James Karinczak. I mean, Zach Plisak right. was the 12th round pick. So And – Here's here's if this we don't have much time left, but here's a phil, philosophical question to leave people with, and I wanna I wanna at least throw some quick names out there for the first night of the draft. We can, uh, you know, high school pitchers, high school whatever, whoever they decide to go with, we can talk about really quickly as we get out of here. But a philosophical, philosophical question I want to leave people with is this: is the Guardians' reliance on the potential for a hit tool and to add power? If if you are drafting, and hit tool is obviously the hardest tool to grade, right? It's the hardest tool to predict if it's going to translate to the big league level. If you are wrong about that, or if you don't know how well it's going to translate, what tool do you fall back on? Because that, like, if you have, if you're if you're a guy, like, speed, you can't just draft a guy on speed alone. Obviously, you talk about Enrique Bradfield. He's a good player. I think he's better than just a good a good runner. Home, as an example. Yeah, like, so if you are wrong about the hit tool, you don't have a whole lot to fall back on because if that guy doesn't have an above average hit tool, he's not going to get to his power. You're not going to be able to teach him power. And the glove might be great and all, but what do you, what are you falling back on? So if you are, if you are banking everything on a high school, like a Cole Emerson, if you are banking everything, this guy is going to have a 60 hit tool and it doesn't pan out. What's, what's your fallback? You know what I mean? Like that's the thing you have to start thinking about is, if that is your, if that's the way you're really putting all your eggs in that basket, you that that is the that is the hardest thing to predict. So that's that's my biggest question for them is that is are they going to keep 
banking on they they know this guy is going to hit the big league level because they haven't had a lot of that so far. But um, how is uh, how is the kid that got picked by the Nationals doing? Um, James Wood. No, Elijah Green. 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 Yeah, Elijah Green. It's not great. It's not great. It's not great. And, and that was the knock on him. Super athlete, but hit tool questions. But top of the scale, almost power. Everything. I got it. it was given 70 grade power by some people. But what does it matter if he can't ever use it or get to it? That's your point. You know, I, I'm obviously I'm pulling a player, player that's maybe an extreme. Uh, and maybe he's Will Benson, though, where it takes him a couple of years, year to year, to progress. So if you're going for Power hitters always take the longest. Yeah. Um, me, I think there are some hitters in this class that are going to hit and perform at a high level. I think Nolan Chong is one of them. I think he'll hit. I think Matt Shaw will. I think Tommy Troy will. Um, Braden Taylor, I think, is going to do – I think he's going to hit major league average, but I think he's going to be one of these guys that hits 250, 260, 20 home runs. And you know what? That's an improvement over what Cleveland has right now. Um do you take a risk on a guy like that? Or you call that a risk, if you will. Johanny Morales, who might strike out a lot, but who's also hitting at a high level. As I said, I haven't watched enough to know, is he passive at the plate or what is it? If I had to put money on if I had to put money on Cleveland selecting a guy right now, man, I today I would tell you Colton Emerson. Tomorrow I'll tell you Brock Wilkin. Um, I mean that's that's kind of where I am. I'm flip-flopping. I don't have any one guy nailed down that I think that they're going to take because I feel like there's so much flexibility above them. Um, as you alluded to, Hurston Waldrop may be the guy. We're sitting here looking at all of these hitters and then Hurston Waldrop falls into their lap. And, and I think they would go that route, um, even though his numbers don't look that great. But I think his teammate, Brandon Sproat, isn't too far off of what he offers. And um, hopefully maybe – That's my problem. Maybe maybe Sproke could become, a, you know, a, a rotation piece in the second round for Cleveland. I don't know. You know, there is some there is some command concerns there, but the stuff is is definitely there as well. But Cleveland showed a little bit more willingness to take risk on with pitchers last year, even with uh, Steve Hajar in the trade. Um, mm -hmm. Looked good the other day, didn't give up any hits, but he sure walked four guys too, though. So yeah. You know, the other guy I couldn't think of earlier was was Kevin McGonigal. I'm also not interested in Kevin McGonigal. The cold weather bad yeah, thing is too much for me. I'm not buying Kevin McGonigal because he he's not a shortstop. He's not going to play shortstop. He's going to be a second baseman. Does that provide enough value for you in the first round from him? Um, not for me because I don't think he has the power. Whereas Matt Shaw has power and speed yes. in his game. I think that's the difference, and that's why Matt Shaw is a potential top fifteen pick. And McGonagall goes somewhere between 25 and 50 to me. Right. And I think McGonagall's probably like a comp A second round pick. <clears throat> we got some questions here. So let's 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 end on some questions. Um, we can make these rapid fire. So if my Twitter would load, that's fantastic timing for Twitter. Not to load. Thank you, Rocket Man. Um, I know we had a question about PD Halpin. Of course, we always have a question about PD Halpin. Um <clears throat> Somebody wanted to know, it is John Turner, thoughts on Bryce Eldridge at 23? I'm thinking Bryce Eldridge is not a Guardians guy. I think the White Sox would probably take him um, at their pick, which is 15. 
15. I think Bryce Eldridge. That's a, little, that's a little high for Eldridge to me, but possibly. There's been some rumors out there that he's a top 10 pick for a team. So who knows? Maybe the Royals love him and we'll take him at eight and then uh, cause another player to slide down the board to Cleveland. Um, that's kind of the way he's, I look at that. He's got some fun tools, but I just don't see him as a Guardians type guy. And he's six foot seven, and the history of guys who are that big don't is not great. So I like him more as a pitcher than I like him as a hitter, and he's not a, you know, I don't think he's considered really a first round prospect as a as a pitcher. Right, that's the problem. Uh, Luke's got a couple here, so let's try to get these quickly. Uh, Guardian, you're making the pick for the Guardians, assuming none of the guys top twenty chatter fall. Who's your pick? Brock Wilkin. I'm 100% with you there. We're gonna. I, I already tweeted that the next time Brock Wilkin takes an official at bat, it's going to be. Oh like, yes, yes, and I said you jinxed it basically. <laughs> now you're just scratching, scratching I, I did. Um, um, I like Tommy Hawk to his college teammate. I got to throw that in there. That's next year. Yeah. I'm already talking about next year. Nick Kurtz. Take everybody from from Wake Forest. Obviously, I always works. Seth out. Keener. We got to go, with Seth Keener. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mid round picks five ten. You say, yeah, he's a guardian. Uh, we talked about a couple of those guys. You said Mike Boev is a guy five through ten. Um, Jack Payton, I think, is a five through ten guy. Um, you know, I'm super interested in uh, Zach Thornton. Yep. From Hunter Holland. Hunter Holland is. Guys, yeah, Liam Sullivan. Um, yep. Alonzo. I don't know if they'll go with Alonzo Trittle. He got hurt, so I'm not sure about that one. Jackson Ballmeister, I don't know where he ends up. Um, he, he seems like a Guardians type guy. Uh, uh, he has a perfect command, but he's also a sophomore, too. Sophomore eligible. So, yeah. Um, oh, Sean Sullivan. Sean Sullivan is a guy. Oh, Sean Sullivan. Yeah, I like I like Sean Sullivan, and I like Liam Sullivan, who, Sullivan, who you mentioned yeah. already. Um, that's what I said earlier is there's a lot of pitching that I like, but these guys, a lot of the ones that I like are going to be second, third, fourth, fifth round draft picks. Your, your Keeners, your Tanner Hall, um, OG was Zach Thornton. A lot of those guys like that are going to be there in the second round. Um, they'll be maybe third round, fourth round there too. Um, I hope Cleveland will go after a catcher or two for all these pitchers, but I, I think this draft is going to be a, a Pitcher heavy draft, as I alluded to earlier. Um, look for that more middle round. I think we'll look for bats the first, probably two out of the first three picks would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, somebody, Luke also wants to know about middle round high school bats. Caden um, Thorl was one I mentioned. Um, Got to look at the infielders because Cleveland does that all the time, like your Jake Fox, uh, mm-hmm. Milan Tolentino. There's always somebody there that they'll that they'll pluck. The ones that I really like, um, well, gee was Jake Roman Brown, a high schooler that may be like a third round pick. He's a high school. He plays center field, but he's also a high caliber um, pitching prospect, more as a pitching prospect than a center fielder. But he's an athletic pitcher that I really like. I know Jared loves him. Um, Justin, oh, Antonio man. Anderson, right? I mentioned Antonio Anderson. Yeah, he's the one probably round two, comp B. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked too hard into the prep bats in that range. I've looked more at college bats and in the college arms because that's kind of what I'm anticipating there. But, you know, they always grab one, just like they did Jake Fox. Um, That's about it. I mean, we had questions about Juan Brito and uh, what does he have to do to get to Columbus by the end of the year? I think he will end the year in Columbus at some point. Um, 
Our buddy Nunziozo said, do you see Juan Brito getting some reps in left field? I could see him moving to the outfield. Yes. Definitely needs some versatility there, and they could use him. Um, I don't think Petey Halpin gets a AAA by the end of the year. I think he's going to be a year, a level a year kind of guy. Yeah, that's a, that's about it. So, uh, yeah, there's, we went through a lot of guys. Oh, Dylan Cup. Did you mention Dylan Cup? Uh, no, I'm not on him. Okay. You're not on let, Dylan let him go to school. Who? Let Dylan Cup go to school. Yeah. Where, where is he committed to? I think it's LSU, but I can't remember. He was one that was pretty high. I've never been on. He, I think he's an older shortstop. Doesn't really have the speed of a shortstop. I, I think he ends up over at second base. Interesting. Okay. Right, that's about it. I mean, you got to go. I got to go. It's been over an hour. Uh, Willie, thanks for coming back and doing this with me. It was a lot of fun. Maybe we'll do yeah, it again but, soon. You want to do it after? The contract says two more shows. So. Two more? <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I'm available next next week. So uh, Yeah, we'll hop on next week, too, um, assuming our schedules align. And then definitely one after the, after draft. the draft. Yeah. So the draft is July 9th. So maybe we can hook up on something. July 9th, 10th and 11th. So. Yeah. So maybe towards the end of that week, we could hook up on something or the following week, but uh, yeah, we can either come back next week or we can come back the week before the draft and see what's, what chatter is happening. Cause that'll be the week before the all-star break as well. Yep. Sounds like All fun. Right, well, really thank you again. It was good to catch up and uh, thanks for listening. And if you, uh, are listening and you have been waiting for more content. I apologize, but uh, hey, anybody you know that maybe they haven't listened in a while, they've forgotten about us because the schedule's been inconsistent and it's just been me rambling. Let them know we're back. We're gonna we're gonna be back. I don't know if it's gonna be every week, but uh, turns out doing a podcast every day doesn't make you want to podcast more. Believe it or not. So uh, <laughs> th- thanks for listening. Thanks again, Willie, and let, let you know tell a friend. Let them know we're back and. Um, hopefully we'll be back more consistently and let's get those numbers back up. So thanks everybody for listening and we will catch you next time.